Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua, your host, as we get into the third and final section of this second Vin Armani interview. So as a heads up, this is the third part of one interview. So if you're jumping in here, definitely stop, go back two episodes, and start there. And also, if you have not heard the first Van Armani interview, then I would highly recommend that first, and then getting into this, and ideally the three, I think, interviews in between as well. But to give you a reminder of where we left off, Vin and I were talking about Bitcoin, and Vin was talking about some of the aspects of that that seem to correspond fairly similarly with the early Christian church, as well as the American Revolution and the time just prior to that and leading up to that and how a lot of these things seemed very similar. These movements seemed similar. The cycles that are occurring throughout history that we have seen in the past seem to be occurring again now, and that was kind of where we left off. And so now I will go ahead and play me shifting us into some more practical aspects of these topics that we have been discussing. With this strategy of acting these things out, of using true agorism in our own daily lives, these types of things, using technology the way that we believe it should be used, um, these more spiritual, mystical ideas behind Bitcoin. There, there are two strategies for how to really apply this and how these can be effective. And uh, the two that I'll point out would be the Benedict option or mm -hmm. a fifth column option. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's either you take the Benedict option of forming a community and basically separating yourself from the rest of society. You are basically like the monks of the Middle Ages where mm -hmm. you are hoarding the knowledge. You are not necessarily hoarding it in a bad way, but you're protecting it. You are preserving it for a future for the next age to come. Uh, but in order to do so, you have to get out of the current corrupt society, out of some of those threats and dangers, and you are forming a community, a separate entity um, that can do that effectively. So that would be the Benedict option. But the fifth column option would be more that you are subverting the system. You're actively doing things where you would like to see the system come down. And instead of just going off and being in a separate place, being apart from this, you want to be actively involved in that aspect of the counter economy of really trying to basically be a weapon against the uh, corruptions of the current system. Um, between those two options, do you see one as being more primary from your perspective than the other or some combination or what do you think? Well, if we look at the his history of Christianity, both of them took place and, and both of them were incredibly important and there were saints from both. So we have, you know, the desert fathers and then we have the great bishops of, you know, like Alexandria, right? You're not a, <laughs> this is a major city. What a, a major world city. And, you know, uh, there were bishops in Alexandria and there's actually a great movie, uh, uh, you know, ironically enough, that's called um, Agora. And it's with mm. Rachel, Rachel Weiss 
I've seen and, that and yes. I've almost watched it like five times, but I never have. Watch it. Watch it. It's great. She plays the it's historical fiction. She plays the um, philosopher Hypatia. It's really cool. Okay. And but what's happening during that time is the empire is Christianizing, not by law yet, but just by persuasion, just because the upper class is doing it. And, uh, you know, she's uh, she's Greek. It's obviously this is during the Ptolemaic dynasty, obviously. And so uh, the Greek it's the Greeks that are running Greek ethnicity people who are running uh, Alexandria and had been since the time of Ptolemy. You know, Cleopatra was a Greek, for those who don't know, uh, of Greek descent. And um, so uh, basically, this is during the time when the Christians destroyed the Library of Alexandria. Uh, so this is the fifth column Christians. While at the same time, you know, in in the deserts, not too far away, you have the Desert Fathers as monks who are doing their thing and are at the height of their sort of uh, contemplative practice as well. And both of these had a massive influence on the future of the church. And both of them, you might say, were necessary for the Christianizing of the Western world. So both are going to um, play a role. And uh, I would say people are just going to need to go to and flow with the one that resonates with them more. So for me, the the Benedict, as people could probably imagine, the type of individual that I am, you know, contemplation. I like to write, you know. I like to uh, to build these things. I like I love small communities. As I as I've said, you know, I'm not a, a uh, I'm not a lover of crowds. I'm a bit antisocial. I like small groups. You look at a person who that's their temperament, and it's like, well, yeah, they're going to take the Benedict option. That's gonna that's gonna be more for them. Somebody who more relishes large groups, who's a, a, a an extrovert and very gregarious, you know, and, 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 um, it's younger than me too. Right. So it's like, I'm, I'm in my forties. It's like somebody who's in their twenties and they're like, you know, they want, they want to have some excitement and they, they like being in the mix of things. That fifth column side is going to be more appealing, much more appealing. And it takes both. Really. It takes both. I don't think that, they, that it's, that it's an either, or I think it's an and. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I like that. Um, so with this uh, mystical age that we are heading into, and at least for the near future, it seems like we, this perspective, is going to be the remnant, and mm-hmm. the majority is going to be woke in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. What hindrances do you see? What obstacles do you see? What dangers do you see with the woke dominance in society while we are trying to do something different and be that seed and be that salt that is by definition in contrast and contradiction to the mainstream culture. Do you see there being uh, dangers, things to definitely look out for? Well, I think I can pretty much guarantee that choosing the non-woke path I think first you got you got to get your orientation in order. So the, the threats really come from the way that people handle it. So I think the time to be reactive, if somebody's listening to this, I think they're already at a point where it's like, you've got to fight hard to not be reactive. I think that much of the, let's say, the liberty movement, if you want to call it that, um, even like 
anarcho-capitalists, you know, uh, even if, to call yourself an, an, an anarchist is already a reactive position, right? So it's like you're against the state. Whereas for an agorist, it's really like when you have this like start over thing, it's just like, I don't even want to see the state. Like my life is not about railing against the state. I don't want to say how the Fed is bad. I don't want to say these. I just don't want them. I don't want it to exist. Okay. Like I just want to live in a world where it's not there. And so I start the world over again with that bug fixed, right? With like, okay, well, we don't let it in at the time that we let it in before. Uh, we know what it does, okay? We, we, we've now taken that function out and now we continue. Now, do we know like it's a trade-off? Obviously, there are gonna be some unforeseen consequences and things corrupt, um, but this is, the, like, this is the path to take. And so it's very much about individuals. Those people who are reacting, you are not out of the, the, the woke sphere. All you are is you are the enemy. So for those who have read 1984, you are Emmanuel Goldstein, basically. Uh, you are going to be used for the two-minute hate. You are going to be used for the enemy to throw stones at. Um, you, If you choose truly to be outside of it, what I can guarantee you is you are going to have to give up. It's Now we get into, we move from Orwell to Brave New World. So you will be a savage. Uh, you are going to give up a lot of cool things. A lot of things that deliver a lot of short-term pleasure. Uh, a lot of things that you may even be used to. You're going to give them up. And it's very likely that in your lifetime you will not get them back. And the reason why I say that is if you're building a new economy and a new market, that thing didn't appear in the, in the existing market for many thousands of years. Now, granted, you're not starting from zero, right? But just anticipate that, you know, it's, it's going to take some bootstrapping to get, and it's going to be longer before you, you reach that level of, of technological prowess. And so in what we're talking about, about it's not self-sufficiency, but it is sufficiency within the market and, and sort of living by economic rules that it takes a lot of things to build the foundation, to have certain technologies, certain consumer goods, all of these things. And so I think ex coming to an acceptance of that, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't have wonderful things. It doesn't mean that you can't have health. It doesn't mean that you can't have comfort. I mean, it's not like we're losing knowledge about sanitation and these sorts of things. And it's not like we can't use uh, con technological concepts, but the actual platforms upon which certain things are built are not going to be accessible to you. This is something to realize uh, and something to come to acceptance of. So it is, it is not that there is necessarily a threat. Um, and this is part of the reason why a lot of this will be allowed to happen uh, is because, well, it isn't a threat. If these people want to live shitty, that's how they're going to see it. Well, if you want to live shitty, Go ahead. You know, I've got I've got VR and, and uh, pizza delivery and, you know, all that. You don't want all that. Oh, my God. You're crazy. You're stupid. Unlimited porn and all of this. Oh, you would give that up. It's the way that people look at the Amish. Right. Hmm. But then here's this story in the New York Post. Amish have now reached herd immunity. Uh, for covid. 
right? And next to no deaths in their community or anything. And they didn't lock down or nothing. And so it's like, oh, well, that's interesting, <laughs> right? No thought of vaccines, no thought of nothing. It's like, oh, they're good. Oh, lo and behold, they're good to go. So there's a trade-off, right? There's a trade-off. You know, there's not going to be any va- need even for vaccine passports for, from, from them. And something similar, you know, here. Like I say, we've had no COVID. There's been no lockdown. But they also destroyed their tourism industry. They shut the airport down here. And it was like, well, only the people who are here within our culture do we care about. Nobody else can come in. This is a very Amishy thing to do, right? <laughs> so it's like, and in so doing, the trade-off is we kill our tourist industry, which was the only industry besides government. But, we're, but you know what? That's the trade-off that we take. And if you want to come in and you want to live here, you're gonna, it's going to be tough. The flights, there's only one flight, you know, twice a week or something like that. You're going to be in a quarantine. When we came, we had to do a 14-day quarantine. Now it's five days. Wow. There's going to be a mandatory 14-day quarantine. You're going to not be able to leave your hotel room. A lot, most people look at that and they're like, eh, no, thank you. Oh, you could come. If you're a tourist, you could actually come right now. There's nothing stopping you. But you're going to have to do that. And most people who would come as a tourist would be like, no, 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 no. But if you live here or you have family here, then people, they go through it. You know, so these these are the things that people need to think about is that it's you're not going to be able to have both. I think, unfortunately, that's something that a lot of people think, you know, is that and that's the the, the arguments that when people like, well, how would you do this and how would you do this to these anarcho capitalists? The answer that I'm always looking for is, well, we kind of wouldn't. We'd be suffering. But the trade off is we don't get the state. The trade-off is you don't get the state. It doesn't sound very nice because it's not. Because it's not. Is it worth it to you? Right? Like, Christianity took over the world. Right? But it wasn't a nice life for Christians in the beginning. Like, if you didn't end up crucified or martyred, you were kind of a second-class citizen. You were sort of hiding what you were doing in a lot of places. It wasn't very nice. You weren't very accepted. You know, but what's the trade-off? You participate in the kingdom of God, and that's meaningful to you. It gives your life meaning. That's why you do it. So it's the same thing here. It's the same principle here. And I think that if people come to accept that, then we can move forward. If people think that, well, I, th- th- I want my lifestyle to stay the same, well, nobody's lifestyle is staying the same. But if you want to keep having the goodies that are coming from out of the the new woke world and from this tech technocracy, then you're going to participate in the technocracy. You're going to take your shot. You're going to be tracked. You're going to be cattle. And, uh, you know, you get the, you get the little short-term goodies, but that's the trade-off. Yeah. It's a sacrifice either way. And Mm -hmm. religion is always paired with sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So which side will you sacrifice for? That makes sense. And, as you're talking about like taking action, building for the future, um, that these platforms won't exist for us, we will have to be giving stuff up, we'll be starting from scratch. It, it reminds me of, again, the beginning of the church, like you said, with the, with the disciples and the small home churches. Uh, going back to the idea of tradition, they didn't necessarily have all the traditions that the church 
even just a few hundred years had. They didn't have all those same liturgies. They didn't have all of those same rituals. They didn't have those things. They they had some, like uh, communion, the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. They did have that. They obviously had prayer. They had the Old Testament, the scriptures that they would teach from. And most churches at least had some of the writings that we now consider the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, largely, they were reading scripture, discussing things, and they were out in the community actually showing their love for people, helping those in need, uh, teaching people, these types of things. And um, and that's how it started. So tradition from that perspective is a little different than tradition you know, a few hundred years later. And I, I would think the same would be true with the future that you and I would like to see, that... Uh, that the ultimate future, the uh, maybe if you go like the full anarcho-capitalist society, mm-hmm. it has all of these different characteristics. You could look at like Bob Murphy's chaos theory for you know how that would work and what that would look like, or you know plenty alongside night, lots of different examples there. But uh, but that's the future, and like you say, we will not be at that now or in our immediate future, and. So instead, we are going to be in some place like the fledgling church where it's just going to involve us as individuals, oftentimes as outcasts and savages, but Mm -hmm. still reaching out to those in need, still actively showing love to others, and that that's what we're going to have to do. And I think that one of the dangers here is that given that that is the situation— even for somebody that wants to go down the path of the kingdom of God, of the savage, of the resistance, whatever, someone going down that path, still, that although they are on that path, they are either going to be staying afloat and hindering the encroachment of, let's say, the evils of the world, whatever, or they are going to be thriving and living life to the fullest. Even if thriving still means that you are sacrificing a lot of the convenience things that you had before. Mm -hmm. Um, True thriving, thriving in the sense of uh, living life to the fullest in a biblical sense, having that uh, sense of meaning manifested within your life. And so, yeah, that's something that that I worry about. And I would like to see if you have ideas here about this difference between uh, slowing down the system, hindering the system, um, maybe just trying to stay afloat as an individual or build this small agorist community that, you know, we can do things together and, you know, let everything else fall apart or actually being able to thrive in some way. Um, how can we do that? I, I'm going to go ahead and assume that we want to thrive. We don't want to just stay afloat. Um, what are some uh, things that you would recommend in building out these seeds and these manifestations in a way that we can thrive? This is a really good question. And I like that you, I, I like where you went in terms of the historical analogy to the early church, especially like the, the apostolic age, right? So like the apostles and them moving forward. So let's say like within the first hundred years of the church, maybe something like that, the first couple of generations. Um, so there's two things there. You know, we say they didn't have the tradition, um, but you know, Christ said that he, he was there to fulfill the law. 
and that the idea was that this was a continuation of the Jewish tradition. Well, first off, they were Jews, right? So it was that this is not, there is no break here, even to the point where the Christian tradition today is to say that things in the Old Testament were talking about Christ. So you talk to Christian theologians, especially of the Orthodox or Catholic bent, is that they will say, well, this is referring to Christ. This is a prophecy of Christ. And that the idea was that, as the, this is the idea of the Messiah anyway, is that he, he was a manifestation of this, this cycle, this, that, that it's all one piece. It's like liturgical time, that it's all one, it's all referencing itself, right? It's all one piece. And I think that it's very helpful, it has been helpful for me to see what you and I are talking about now as a fulfillment of Christ as a fulfillment of the kingdom of God. And the reason why I say that is that it, it is there is a, a distinct line drawn from the apostles to the founding fathers of the United States. I mean, the the, the fact that so much of the philosophy that is that is embodied within there comes from the specific history of these congregationalist Protestants, particularly in New England, who these are their values being manifest. You know, this di- these were all Christians. These were all people who had come from out of the, the Christian milieu. The values are Christian, and these are the libertarian values. And so when we look at as agorism comes from out of, the, out of libertarianism, I mean, the book in which it is defined, in which the world is defined, is called A New Libertarian Manifesto, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, it, that is literally the book in which agorism is defined. So there's no question as to the line and the fact and libertarian is directly referring to we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, you know, chief among these, life, liberty, that's where it comes from. This is the tradition. Uh, the tradition is, is a Christian tradition. The creator in question is, a, is the Christian God. And so, so we see this line drawn. And so then it is to say, well, it's not that we don't have a tradition. It's not that there isn't a tradition. It's actually incredibly important to recognize the tradition. Uh, and the tradition extends back through that Declaration of Independence uh, it extends back into Christianity, so it extends to the Scriptures, and then it extends all the way back to uh, Genesis, to the Old Testament. That is the tradition, and and all of that is us. All of it is us. It is just that this is a new piece. This is a new libertarian manifesto, and this is, again, why it is important that we do not stray from that Scripture just in the same way that, what did the church have? Well, we, we actually have evidence of what the church had. As you say, they obviously had the Eucharist, right? This tradition was obviously there. Uh, because if they didn't continue, it's not like it popped into existence. Uh, and then they also had a pretty coherent understanding of the key teachings of Christ and the key aspects of his ministries because we have the Synoptic Gospels. 
So we have three gospels that are almost, they're basically rewritings of the same thing. Uh, and then we have John, which is not that far apart in terms of the story, but it's it's got some other aspects to it, but it's like, yeah, it's good too. Uh, in terms of that canon of the gospels, it, that canon of the gospels is a pretty good understanding of what they held as the tradition that they were going to carry forward, that they had. We're in a time now when it is important for us to carry through that tradition. And we do have the scriptures, um, you know, uh, uh, anatomy of the state, Bastiat's the law. These are things that are nest that are absolutely crucial and necessary for those of us who would, who would say that we are following then in the vein of Konkin, you know, I mean, in the, in the Rothbard was well aware of Konkin. As a matter of fact, I think in the, the most recent printing of New Libertarian Manifesto, there's a commentary on the book from Rothbard that's attached to it. So um, there is a tradition. And this is what I've realized, that like there is absolutely a tradition. You can't be an atheist libertarian. You can't be an atheist agorist because you deny, it's just like you can't, you can't deny the Old Testament. The New Testament makes no sense without the Old Testament. You could use it, and, and certain sects of Christianity do, which is weird. But if you do that, you kind of end up with like things like Mormonism, right? So it's like, at what point does it stop? At what point does it stop? You know, and, and is that effective? Well, it's spread. We'll see how effective it is, it, it is in the future. Um, but I think that, yeah, for, for us specifically, this is it. It's as individuals embracing tradition. The answers come from out of that because that's what helps you to decide what steps that you should take next. You call back to the tradition. Um, yes, the technology will be different, but the ought is not different. The is changes, but the ought does not. We have to call back to that tradition. Hmm. Now, I, I think we're about to wrap this up. Um, but beforehand, there's something else that really ties into that. It was a random question, but it actually ties into the tradition of Bitcoin. Yes. And that would be going back to the beginning of the concept of Bitcoin. The idea was this electronic peer-to-peer -peer, uh, cash system. And with that, there was... And uh, it's been a long time since I've looked at the white paper. So forgive me if I get something no a little wrong. You can correct me. But... No um but at least I got the impression that the idea was that this was going to be an anonymous system where all the tokens were fungible and each one could be traded for another and that that was the ultimate goal, that it would be like cash. And currently, that is not the way Bitcoin is. Um, do you personally have any opinions on that privacy aspect? I know there are good privacy coins, um, but Bitcoin is not one of them, nor is Bitcoin Cash or any of those derivatives there. Uh, what, what would be your thought on, at least the way I perceive it, as one of the original traditions of the concept of Bitcoin as being uh, something that is private and is like cash in that sense? Yeah, I'm not... There, there is actually some, you know, I like to go off the white paper, but there is some early, there was an early set of exchanges on the mailing list on which Satoshi released both the white paper and then the actual code. 
And I was actually, it's funny, I was just looking at this yesterday, that there is an exchange where somebody actually says, as my understanding, this is supposed to be anonymous, right? Like this is supposed to, because they were cypherpunks, all these guys, right? It's a cryptography mailing list. And Satoshi basically says like, it's not really supposed to be anonymous. Like there's nobody's name attached to it, but like if everything is trackable, that's part of the system. Like all transactions are transparent. And they are, and it's a chain of digital signatures. So, can you do tracking? Like, yes, of course you can. What pro- all privacy coins do is they prevent tracking of transactions, but that's only important in the context of the state, and it's only important in the context of leaving a paper trail in the current financial system. So, you know, if you if you have some good or service that you're selling in the counter economy, the gray market, and I come and I give you Bitcoin and I move Bitcoin into your wallet and you've created a new address, which most wallets do. And I move the Bitcoin in there and let's say I had mined it myself or whatever, or, or I'd gotten it from somebody else. There's no paper trail of that, right? If it's moving in a closed economy, who is trading this? What is it being traded for? unless I have some real world like marker of it, some receipt that I can tie to, I'm surveilling you and I'm like, oh, you made a transaction. Okay, like look at the blockchain. Uh, Oh, can I find the receipt in the trash? Oh, it was for this amount or whatever, right? Um, It is incredibly private, but it is not private once you start interacting and leaving a paper trail. And I think that this really gets to the core here that it's render unto Caesar. If you involve a custodial exchange that has agreed Coinbase, for instance, that has agreed to play the game of the state, they just went public yesterday for, for Christ's sake, right? So they just agreed to be a publicly traded company. You can't get much more regulated by the state than that. Uh, and participating in the, in Caesar's game than that. So render unto Caesar. Uh, It is a choice for you to interact with Coinbase. If you interact with Coinbase and you move coins on or off of their platform, you sign up with their platform, you follow their rules, which are the rules that they are abiding by because those rules have been dictated by the state. Um, First off, they're a financial institution. They're a trusted third party. You're already not using Bitcoin for the purpose, right? You're already not following the tradition of Bitcoin. So then render unto Caesar, you know, and people would argue, well, but if you only used Bitcoin outside of that context, I mean, Bitcoin wouldn't be worth what it is today. It wouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It would be it would be the tool that was being used as it was meant to be used. You know, when Satoshi used it, when Hal Finney used it, when they were the first two mining, Bitcoin couldn't be exchanged for anything. And that's something worth remembering for people because those are the Bitcoin saints. You know, that it's like the system here is meant to for you to be able to exchange value. And it's meant for you to be able to do that without the without a a trusted third party, without a financial institution and all financial institutions, by definition, at the moment, are tightly integrated with the state. So. So this is the choice that people have to make. 
you know, the, in, the Monero's existence and Zcash's existence is specific to the fact that people want to trade these on, ex on regulated exchanges. Specific to those. That's the reason you need the privacy. That's the reason you need to obfuscate the transactions. But very shortly, those will be made illegal. Once you remove the state, once you're not operating on exchanges, Monero is no more valuable than Bitcoin. Once you're not leaving a paper trail, Zcash is no more valuable than Bitcoin Cash in that regard. It has no more utility. But is it realistic to think that somebody in today's world, say today they wanted to buy $10,000 worth of Bitcoin, is it realistic that they can do that without having some connection with a state institution? That goes to exactly what we were talking about. You're not going to have all the things. You're not okay. going to be able to participate in number go up. <laughs> You're not going to be able to participate in number go up. You're not going to be able to buy fiat whose name and picture is on the money. Render unto Caesar. This is Christ's message. So somebody says, I'm going to buy $10,000 worth of Bitcoin. Well, I earn most of my income. This month, I've earned basically all of my income, I think in cryptocurrency. I have not purchased cryptocurrency with fiat in many, many years. Hmm. I sell my goods and services for it. There's nothing preventing anyone from doing that right now, by the way. Absolutely nothing. And if somebody is an agorist that they say they are, and they have some goods and services, and they're operating in the counter economy, and they are not selling using cryptocurrency, are you really an agorist? <laughs> Really? Like, are you really living it out if you're still using government money to make your exchanges? If you're not demanding? I mean, I demand it for my books. You cannot purchase my books in cash. People even email in, in, in fiat. People even email me like, oh, please, I don't know how to use cryptocurrency. Can't I please just buy it in PayPal? I'll even pay you extra. And I say, no. It has to be in cryptocurrency or I will not I will not allow you to purchase this. Because how else do we get there? Yeah. How else do we get there? That's, that's what it is to, to live in truth. That's what it is to embody a principle. That's what early Christians were doing. If you want this to happen, if you want that world to be there, as they say, be the change you want in the world. You've got to embody it. You've got to be it. And that means being intolerant. No longer worshiping the other gods. That's what it means. In at least some portion of your life, you've got to have that intolerance. It would be nice to have it in all of your life. It's not completely practical. But it is definitely practical in a regard of, well, okay, I can't participate in number go up. I'm not going to buy Bitcoin with fiat. I want Bitcoin, but I'm not going to buy it with fiat. Now, what do I do? When enough people say that and enough people answer that question, well, you've solved We've got our counter economy, don't we? Yeah. What about the people that want to only transact in Bitcoin and that's it? They don't want to hold any fiat. They don't want to buy or sell with fiat. But because of number go up and because of all the institutional involvement, uh, Bitcoin's very volatile as far as what you can buy and sell. Um, so even if you're not worried about the conversion to fiat dollars, it takes a lot less Bitcoin now to buy your book than it would have 
five years ago. Yes. And so that it would you just say that that's just another inherent risk and impracticality with having to switch over? Yeah, I mean, well, there's there's always stable coins, right? So and and even if you don't want like a backed stable coin, there's things like DAI. So yeah. I mean, you can't you don't have to have the volatility if you don't want. Uh, and you can definitely there are definitely non KYC exchanges. I mean, I use them. So I hold most of I most if not all of my my holdings. I hold them in stable coins. I'm not participating in the the game of it goes up and and down and all of that. It comes in. I put it in stable coins because I actually use it to feed my family. You know, like this is my actual income. It's not a game. It's not a speculation. So, uh, you know, I put it I put it into stable coins. And I mean, even if you're used, even in the case of something like, let's say, Tether, you know, I mean, that they just talk about being against the government. They were just that's a pretty anti-government coin. Right. So it's like they yeah, maybe it's a scam. Maybe it's not fully backed. But you know what? It doesn't for me, it doesn't matter. I'm never going to turn Tether into fiat. I use it to hold the value. So it still is peer to peer. It still is peer to peer electronic cash, you know, to to use a token. That's still peer to peer. The idea is that it's not not involving a state run and regulated financial institution. That's the key. And so and that's what you got to live by. You got to live in truth. You got to say, "Okay, what am I doing here? What's valuable to me?" Because if it's like, well, yeah, I'll sacrifice my principles for some uh I'll sacrifice my principles for some additional cash, right? I'll sacrifice my principles, these my stated principles to 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 make some money. Then they well then it's over, right? Like that's the end. You don't get from here to there if that's how you if that's if that's the case, not at the stage that we're at. Like at the stage that we're at, like it's the stage of people who've got to be true believers. And that's not going to be everybody. I mean, Jesus was walking around doing miracles and he only got 12. <laughs> you know, let's be real. Like, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus Christ. None of us are Jesus Christ. And he only got 12. So don't feel bad. You know, <laughs> just live in, live in principle. At least in some part of your life. Do the best that you can. Yeah. So the final thing I wanted you to do was to give an elevator pitch, a very <laughs> short pitch, for um, three subjects. And that would okay. be, I'll warn you, crypto. Yes. Agorism. Yes. And Christianity. Okay, so short, short elevator pitch for all of them together as one, as one holistic thing. No, no, independently, but you can tie them together if you like. But the idea is that, you know, we are at interacting with other people that don't know much about these things, but we know that a lot of people are open and seeking mm -hmm. uh, in all of these areas, the economy, in currencies, in spirituality. Um, what is a way that we can talk to people about these things? We can introduce them to these things that is succinct, but uh, able to um, relay the concepts that are important. The elevator pitch is really simple for all three of these things. It is to say, do you feel like your life has meaning at the moment? Great meaning. And then second, if they say no, it is, 
do you see others around you who are following the narrative that is being given to you by the powers that be, by the, the government, by establishment, by the media, by corporations? When you look at that, do you see yourself as wanting to participate in that first off? And second, do you see that uh, that, that is going to change your state? Do you see people as being happy and that giving them uh, meaning in their life? And then if the answer is no, then it's like, look, here are I, what I can say from myself is here are three things that I live, that I embody, that have uh, a, a history behind them, that are deeply interesting, that can be dove into and acted out in the world that have given my life deep, deep meaning. And that's the best that I can offer. That's it. That are consistent, that, that are moral and ethical, that, that I can go to sleep at night fully knowing that I can embody these in a, in a righteous way, that I don't feel any amount of guilt about these at all. As a matter of fact, I feel guilt if I'm not fully living up to their principles. And that's what, that's what, they're, that's what they offer. Forget about, I mean, that's what changes the world, right? Like, forget about everything else. Forget about the, any tangibles. Forget about any rational argument. It's just like, do you want your life to have some meaning? Here it is. This is what's given my life meaning. That's my pitch. That's a good pitch. It's convincing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like I can channel uh, Jonathan Paggio here and say that go. the role of humanity is to match meaning the spiritual world with the physical world with nature. And that we, if we just live out a natural life without meaning, just going through the motions and being victim to all of the emotions and issues that um, are around in normal culture, mainstream culture, then we are detached from that higher meaning. And these three things are ways that we can input meaning. We can embody that meaning and uh, reestablish that connection between the spiritual and the physical. I would say that, that? Yeah, I would say that is, that is right on. That is okay. that is right on. These are and the, the important part about them is that they are all three practices, right? So they are they are all three practices and also lifestyles. That they are three concepts that you can allow to permeate literally every single thing you do throughout the day, and that others who are also similarly allowing it to permeate, proven, proven, you will have immediate fellowship with those people. Immediate. And you will be absolutely allies and on the same page. Any Anybody who is embodying, fully embodying those with the principle, the stated principles from, from out of the scriptures, right? Who you look at their life and their behavior and you look at the scriptures who are trying to adhere to them. You know, that's the white paper, New Libertarian Manifesto and the scriptures, the Bible and the tradition of, of whichever church we're talking about as well. Those three things... You find somebody who's embodying them and you are there's you've got an ally immediately. And that's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Yeah, especially in an age and a culture that uh, is lacking in allies. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, it's it's we are desperate to connect with one another. And yet the culture would like nothing more than to find more ways to divide us. And this is this is a means for deep connection with even people that you've only just met 
and, and to have an immense amount of trust in them. And that is so valuable, so valuable. Hmm. Well, I think that wraps up everything. Was there anything else you wanted to mention? No, that's it, man. I just, I, I want to just say again, thank you for like the work that you've done. Thank you for taking such great time uh, with these ideas, articulating it for people and also for embodying it. I mean, I've been following you, you as you've been, you know, talking about the things that you're doing in your life and how you're embodying these ideas and you're, you're walking the walk. You're not just talking the talk. So it's like, I, I want to acknowledge and say, thank you for doing that. And, and you're appreciated for that. Well, thank you. Definitely. And thank you for being a part of uh, all of these things I'm doing as well, for spreading the word, coming on, talking about these things, articulating these things yourself. Um, You have actually definitely increased my listener count since I first had you on. Good. You heard it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, Would you please plug your book? Because uh, I will be purchasing it for cryptocurrency, of course, Um, even though I've already read it. I want a physical copy. But I I think listeners will definitely be intrigued and would definitely benefit from having access to that as well. Sure. Uh, People can get it. It's called uh, Render Unto Caesar, Prophecy, Profit, and Proof of Work in the Dim Age. And it covers a lot of the topics that we've talked about here. And you can get it at theproofof.work. So theproofof.work. And uh, it's only available for cryptocurrency, but you can get a signed uh, paperback copy, signed and personalized. So it'll be signed and personalized by me. I've got, I've got them here in Saipan, and it'll be shipped to you. you could, or you could get a digital package, which has a PDF version and an audiobook version. Um, or you could get all three together as in, in one package, just in one purchase. And again, I take like, I think I'm, I think it's probably around 12 to 15 different cryptocurrencies at this point. So pretty much if you've, what you've got, you can spend. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, man, but it's only for cryptocurrency at the proof of dot work. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. My guest today has been the great and illustrious Vin Armani. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Joshua. So I think that this interview has really been a good transition from the previous interviews that I've been doing and this kind of in-between stage in between season two and season three, and now getting into season three. Season three is all about applying these things, but also looking at historical examples and tying these into the Christian example of the early church and all of these types of things that Vin and I just got done discussing. And so it should be a pretty good transition into what season three is. And my plan, at least right now, is to start season three with the next episode. So that'll either be some sort of overview episode or I also have one written up about the overall concepts and more a broad view of what these concepts will be for season three. And those might be two separate episodes. Those might be all in one. We will see because I have not recorded that yet. So that is the plan, though, is that we will get into season three. Now, as another side note, shortly after releasing this interview with Vin Armani, he has changed his name that he goes by to Cyprian. That is C-Y-P-R-I-A-N. 
So in the future, if you are looking for Vin Armani, there is a decent chance that you will have to look for Cyprian and not Vin Armani. So just as a heads up, he's changed his name on Twitter. And my understanding is that that is the name he will be going by from here on. And this is part of his journey into becoming orthodox and his spiritual journey and this type of thing. And I do not personally know much about that. So if you want to learn more, go seek him out and hear it from him yourself. So as I get into season three, I do want to give a bit of a disclaimer, and that would be that I am going into these episodes as I have in these previous few interviews with the idea that you have already listened to the rest of this podcast, going all the way back to season one, through season two, through this interim period, and now heading into season three. So I will not be stopping to explain some things. There are some connections that I will not make, obviously, at least, but you should be making, and that is part of what I am trying to get across, but you should be making those connections yourself because you should have already listened to all of this stuff. And if you have not directly listened to this stuff, hopefully you have at least gotten into these concepts and topics and this information through other sources because... All of the stuff that I have covered does exist in other places, at least most of it, I should say. There is some that is completely original to myself, and some of this going forward will also be that same way, where I am getting into more of my original stuff. As I've mentioned before on the show, I am writing a book, and so a lot of season three kind of stems from the book that I am currently writing, and a lot of that is my original content. So moving forward from here, I would suggest that you go back and listen to previous episodes that you have not listened to before. If you have skipped whole seasons or if you have listened to nothing but the more recent interviews, then going back to the first and second season would be helpful, definitely. Season one really gives a good background framework, a good overview of a lot of these concepts, kind of gets a good worldview in place. And then season two really starts to bring out this idea of historical cycles and patterns uh, with the specific example of the Reformation. And a lot of that stuff is super relevant given the post-COVID world that we are living in and a lot of the things that are occurring right now, especially technologically and politically. A lot of that I did talk about during season two. So that is especially relevant, more relevant now than when I was recording that and releasing that in season two. So I would highly Highly recommend that. But then definitely these interviews that I've done and some of the episodes that I did solo before that in this interim period should be very helpful as well. Starts to connect a lot of these things, especially that first Venermani interview that I did. That one was extremely good at diving into a lot of these topics that I will be drawing out in season three and had already introduced in season two. And so again, all of these things connect. It is a thread. It's not just 
independent, separate seasons and separate episodes and separate interviews. They do all connect. The ideas all connect. And that is something that hopefully you will be able to take part in as well as I have, as I have learned all of these things and began to disseminate this out via this podcast. As you have probably noticed, especially if you have been around since season one, I have gotten more into some more religious topics and concepts. Definitely season one didn't really touch on hardly any. Season two, I did have that parallel of the Reformation, which was a religious happening, but the main institution that had the most power in Western Europe at that time was the church. So it was also very relevant from a secular perspective as well. And I didn't get a whole lot into the theology aspects of that. But then getting into especially that first Venormani interview, he really took it to a spiritual level. And I did go into depth in a lot of that stuff, especially my elaborations as well. And so I have started to delve into some of those more spiritual or religious aspects and getting into season three. It's another example that goes back to the church, this time the original early church of the time of the apostles versus the time of the church when it was much more corrupt that I covered during season two talking about the Reformation. But either way, I'm still using this example of the church. I do think it is extremely applicable and a very good example whether you have any interest in religion or spirituality or not. I think you will see this pretty early on that there are so many parallels and so many common threads that tie the concepts and ideologies, morality, all of these things of the early Christian church as well as the way that they operated and the way that they did outreach and the way that they built up their communities, the way that they interacted with the local governments, all of these things. There are so many similarities between how they were and how the current, uh, let's say, agorist movement is going or anarchism, libertarianism, all of these lines of thinking and these ideologies they are very similar, uh, both from a philosophical perspective and from a practical perspective. And so I think we can draw a lot out of that. So not only are we looking at the historical example as a historical pattern, kind of like the patterns and cycles that we've talked about before, but we are also looking at how that relates to what is currently going on and where we can go from here to push the movements that we might want to see flourish in our society, how can we make those actually flourish? How can we thrive in a society that feels like it is crashing down on top of us? Like Vin had talked about, about how we're going to have to give up some stuff. We're going to have to sacrifice some stuff. We won't be able to participate maybe in the things that normal people can. And so this is something that we are already starting to see, at least as I record this, there's a lot of issues with the vaccine and vaccinated people can do certain things, but unvaccinated cannot. And that definitely varies depending on the country or depending on the state that you live in. But that there already are aspects of segregation that are coming into play. And 
more than likely those that are in line with the ideologies of something like agorism or anarchism or something like this, that will be one of the groups that will get the short end of the stick when it comes to a segregated society. And so that is definitely something that should sound familiar if you are familiar with the early church. They were around in the time of Rome, kind of in Rome's heyday, and they were not looked upon very favorably for many reasons by many of the mainstream people. And so, again, these are the types of things that we will be exploring and looking at in depth and making connections to in season three. So hopefully that's something that you will really enjoy. If there is something that comes to mind for you when you hear that introduction to season three, if there is just a certain concept or a certain historical example or a certain theological point or whatever that you would like to hear covered on this season, one of the episodes, feel free to reach out to me as I am planning the episodes out. I can possibly fit that in. And I guess that's a good segue to saying definitely thank you to all of the financial supporters of the podcast. Those who are financial supporters also do get the perk of requesting a topic or an episode or asking a question or anything like that. And I will address that on an episode. And so that is also a perk that you get from being a financial supporter. So thank you guys very much. Any of you who have not claimed that opportunity, feel free to do so at any time. There are also some who had signed up at a level where you can get some free merchandise, a shirt, a hat, a mug, something like that, and some of you have not claimed those either. So if you would like those, then again, feel free to reach out at any point in time and I can get that done for you. Others have also mentioned that they are interested in t-shirts, just people in general, not necessarily Patreon supporters or subscribe star supporters or anybody else, but um, just normal listeners. And I will definitely let you know when I make the next t-shirt order and I will find a way to make that available to listeners who are interested. So definitely keep an ear out for that in future episodes. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for being a part of this journey and this podcast. I greatly appreciate it. I appreciate all the feedback that I get that is extremely helpful. So thank you all very much for all of your support of all kinds. I'm out. Peace. This has been another episode of Our Foundation's podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Yeah, thank you. Goodbye.